the Dragonlance Nexus is proud to present the Dragonlance Canticle. Greetings, friends and fellow companions, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Dragonlance Canticle. I'm Trampus Whiteman, and I believe that a cleric should not be so mina, they should be real nice. I'm Chuck Martinell, and once again, I get to follow this. <laughs> and I am Wilden Chen, and I can't use prose as well as Trampus can. Uh, <laughs> I was like, everything's just fine in Gerard, but... <laughs> all right folks we're a little uh uh slap happy tonight but uh that's our cast of characters for tonight just me chuck and uh weldon and and uh we thank you all for joining us uh edward well, edward Ed be here but he's serving us a, a one episode suspension currently yeah i'm sorry uh to the guy who complained about the fart joke we take this very seriously, and so Ed is in a timeout. He also might be a frozen popsicle down in Texas right now, but that's beside the point. <laughs> yeah, to all of our uh, listeners who are down in uh, Texas and other areas that have been affected by this um, uh, the extreme cold winter temperatures and who have lost power and everything, uh just know that our hearts go out to you we hope you're doing well and we hope that maybe we can do a little bit to brighten your evening tonight so um with that why don't we talk a little bit about uh what we've been doing that's dragonlance related chuck you got anything well i've actually been trying to design um, some 3D uh, miniatures for for Dragonlance. Finally, since I have finally given up hope of ever buying a box set of the heroes, I should have done it 10 years ago when they were like 50 or 60 bucks a piece uh, on eBay. And now that I mean, I last one I saw sold for 300 and some dollars. Ooh, so Ooh-wee. So at that point, I mean, I might as well just start looking at how to do 3D printing of, of some Dragonlance folks. Uh, my, my take on them, um, nothing licensed, of course. So um, might work on some Hero Forge type things, and I'll be happy with it. I, I, I've, there, there are some, some miniature stuff I've seen, but I don't have deep pocketbooks like that. Yeah, I hear that. It, you know, it's really sad at times. Uh, some of these um, things that used to be out that, you know, you'd expect to pay a little bit extra for. People are just jacking up the prices. Uh, like, I wanted the um, version of Chronicles with, that was leather-bound. I think it was something like 160 bucks at the time. It was uh, pretty high. Um, but I think the last I looked, it was about 600 bucks. I'm like... I love Dragonlance, but I don't love it that much, you know. <laughs> oh, blasphemy! <laughs> <laughs> I I know it. You know, it's like, hmm, do I pay my mortgage this month, or do I buy a book that's going to sit on the shelf and look really pretty? Ah. <laughs> I mean, it takes like it takes like six months for them to foreclose on you, so. <laughs> Oh, well, I can catch up. 
Maybe my wife will allow me to take that out of the emergency fund. I, I think that's an emergency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have the same. I have the same issue. Um, I'm looking on eBay for stuff. Uh, someone in the um, Facebook Dragon Lance Adventures group posted um, posted the um, the King Pe- uh, King Priest trilogy. And it's like the full three book set is like $160, you know, and I'm going, whoa, how could it be that expensive? And, you know, people were excited that they had the option to go for it. I, I followed, uh, followed it up on eBay and people are starting to bid massively. Crazy, you know. Well, it, it doesn't help that on that trilogy and the Talidus trilogy, um, both of them, books two and three are on Kindle, but book one isn't. Hmm. Yeah. And I just don't get that. Yeah. Yeah. So help, help, the, the print runs don't, don't help either. Yeah. Yeah, um, really. I, I'm going to have the same strange issue with my wife. Um, I had told her, like, there's going to be new Dragonlance books coming out, honey. <laughs> Tracy and Margaret is going to put one out maybe sometime later this year and she's going like uh huh and how much is it going to cost it's like I don't know it could be a hardcover and that could be 60 bucks and she's going like okay I will let you order that if you promise to wash the toys as your chore from now on till like you know the end of the until the end of the books I'm like oh book a trilogy Three years cleaning toilets. Oh, well, totally and, worth it. And, 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 and well, then it, it might be a book a year for ten years. Oh man, yeah. You so. might you might want to get new gloves. Yeah. Well, then I'm going to tell you a secret on that, buddy. Uh, when we were waiting for my uh, first son to be born. Uh, see, it used to be my wife's job to clean out the litter box. But, you know, when you're pregnant, you're not supposed to be doing that. So I had to clean out the litter box. It's 23 years later. I'm still <laughs> cleaning out the litter box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> okay, all right. You know, I, I will. I will groan and make a fuss, but... A deal's a deal. If that's what she wants, and that's that's what it takes for me to get some new books, I will gladly make that payment. I will. I will glad. That's my commitment to Dragonlance. There, so, there you go. If you think about willing to scrub toilets for years, <laughs> maybe more, so that you can get your books out. That's that's my sign of love right there. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, um, gonna be bad. <laughs> not to not to change the topic, but changing the topic. Um, <laughs> so, um, Chuck, we've talked a little bit about what you're doing. Um, uh, Weldon, well, yeah, or did ahead. you have anything? Did you have anything? No, else? I was gonna say let's let's hear what Weldon's got going on. Yeah. Oh, I've got. Tons of ideas, but I'm never following through on them. Like my resolution this year was that I was going to rearrange my library because I stacked my books in random order because of the move to the new home. 
and they're all stacked up in random orders. Um, I need to put shelves in. Um, the shelves are basically IKEA storage abilities that have been put into an alcove in, in um, my library, um, or what my wife calls a man cave, which I kind of find insulting. Um, and in the library, I've got all these books stacked um, on their sides rather than upright and presentable, and i got to fix that. And to go along with that is all the damage that went with the move. So I had um, um, my uh, Taxus miniature, um, the Silver Dragon miniature. The Knight Huma has fallen off of that one, and I am, like, making... Trying to do things to basically fix up stuff that fell apart on the move, and I haven't done that yet. Yep, I hear that. <laughs> yep. yep. Other than that, I am trying to get myself in gear on programming. I Last year, I'd worked on making a fundamental 3D chess game cause, and I have it running on the 3D Unity engine. I've been learning how to program in it, and I've got the basics, but now I'm getting to the grueling part, which is creating the user interface to make it presentable, a nice splash screen that says start new game. And I'm looking into what we, I can do to put this out, out to the public so people can see it without getting into weird legal troubles with you know, the fact that Cause is technically a game owned by Wizards of the Coast. And I may not have even permission to say that it is the game Cause. I can only probably present a board and call it like you know, acronym K.H.A.S. And then, you know, something else like altogether is a different name to get around, you know, legal difficulties um, about it. So, and after that, I want to start working on other games. Like, um, I've got, uh, I want to do um, a 3D version of the Dragonlance board game to go along with it, then Mage Stones. I want to do a Dragonlance Clue and a Dragonlance Monopoly game. You know, I'll have it nice free for people to play and say, oh, this is cool. You know, that kind of stuff. But uh, no follow through and it's going to take a long time. So That's my life right now. Yeah, I, I hear you, man. I have this tendency to kind of dream big and have like a thousand projects I want to do. And what I kind of find helps is to just start out, pick one, and then just do it. And then move to the next. And sometimes I'll pick like a small one to start with so that way um i've got a win under my belt and that gives me momentum you know yeah. Yeah, my current my current projects are just uh rereading some books finally <laughs> yeah actually you've been kind of inspired me to possibly reread some but i'm here thinking okay i have a bunch i haven't read to begin with but i kind of want to reread some and which way do I go, you know? <laughs> well, I've got a few trilogies I've never actually finished because I got bored reading them, and I, I won't go back to them. I've decided I'm going to reread what I like, what I'm interested in, versus trying to force myself to read these. And they're not all Dragonlance trilogies I'm talking about. I'm ta i got some other series I read, and I'm just like, I'm just not into it. I'm not digging this. It's, if reading is a chore, it's not fun. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm... It's one of those things that as diehard Dragonlance fans, you know, uh, on the one hand, um, I think, you know, especially with the website, I think I, I should read everything. But on the other hand, I'm like, 
well, why don't I just read what I like? Because, you know, I, I know I like Weiss and Hickman, Richard Knack, Chris Pearson, um, you know, Paul Thompson, so on. Um, but as many great novels as are for Dragonlance, there's a few in the series that's clunkers as well. Um, and uh, so I don't know. Do I read those or not? It's, I really think the th rule of thumb is you try. If you don't, if you're not enjoying it, just put it down. Yeah, I've only had two books that I can remember reading that I absolutely hated, um, and I had to put it down. Uh, one was a Magic: The Gathering book, and the plot was incredibly stupid because it's like, oh, the town's about to get invaded. What should we do to help protect the town? Well, I'm the mayor. Hey, you, you, and you, come with me. We're going to go pirating. And that helps us somehow. And I'm like, huh? Made no sense. And uh, it kind of insulted my intelligence. I'm like, nah, I'm done with this. And another one, I actually gave a shot at reading a... Um, a vampire book, which is not my usual genre. Um, but basically, the uh, it, it was some author that was a guest on uh, Dragon Page Cover to Cover when that podcast was going. And for whatever reason, I wanted to support them. So I got their book. I started reading it. And quite honestly, it was kind of gross and disgusting. And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm done. I can't read this. There's no point. And um, I just set it down. I I generally find that when I'm reading Dragonlance or you know similar fiction that um, I'm in a much happier place. Until I read Dalimar the Dark, and I no, I've tried <laughs> I've tried reading Dalimar now three times, and each time I just I can't get into it. It's the character doesn't excite me enough to. I like Dalmar in like Legends and War of Souls. Like I like that character, but in that book, like the, just to take the author took on him, it's just like, nope. I'm. Uh, it's good. Good sleeping material. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. I think Dalmar might be a better supporting character, honestly. But anyway, um, so. We should probably move on a little bit. Oh, I didn't talk about what I was doing. Um, uh, I won't take up too much time on this. Um, I bought a couple of D&D uh, uh, &D books recently. One was uh, Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, which seems to be extremely um, on topic right now. <laughs> um I even got me a little snowy owlbear miniature um, because I think those things are just darn cute, um, even if they will bite your head off. So um, uh, I got that. And then the other thing I got, um, Goodman Games has put out a series of, um, of adventures called Original Adventures Reincarnated. So they have a license with Wizards of the Coast. And they will take a module and they will reprint the module. And if it's got multiple printings that have changes in it and everything, they'll put multiple printings in this 
and then they will update everything um, to fifth edition. And on top of that, they, they'll have like extra art and articles um, on the behind the scenes and all that. And so I picked up Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. Um, I'm a huge fan of science fantasy. Um, I love the genre of uh, sci-fi meets fantasy hard. And um, it's one of those classic modules that I've never had a chance to play in or to run. But I've always wanted to. And uh, so I picked this up and it is an absolutely gorgeous book. And I've been reading some of the um, uh, blogs about the creation of the series. And uh, they, they've done a really great job. So if you get a chance, um, check out the original Adventures Reincarnated by Goodman Games. If you like that old school stuff and want to see it updated to fifth edition, um, it's a great place to go. They are thick. They're a little on the pricey side, but not too bad. So check we're it only, out. We're only about 50 bucks. Yeah, I thought they were I, sexy. Maybe I'm wrong. I was say, I think they were fifth. I have two of them. Uh, and for for the thickness and what you get in it, it's it's worth it. Oh, it's tremendous. You know, like one of the things I was reading was saying how, okay, here's uh, two different maps of two different levels of the uh, spaceship. And there was something they noticed that wasn't lining up right. So they're able to correct that now in the map um, with the fifth edition reprint. And the new map is um, very nice looking. So I, I was pleased with it. So overall, definitely worth picking up. And we do uh, have a couple of pieces of news to share with folks. Uh, Trampas, what's the Nexus been up to lately? Oh, well, been busy. So we have, um, we've been really kind of cranking it out as far as the major organizations on um, the continent of Ancelon. Um, You know, those mainstay archetypes of Dragonlance. And... The first one we did was the Wizards of High Sorcery. Uh, we've also done the Knights of Salamnia and recently the Legion of Steel. But now uh, we just wrapped up writing and we'll be posting soon um, the Dark or, Knights. Or has been posted. It might have been posted by the time you all get this. Hopefully so. Um, but uh, the Dark Knights. Um, this one was extremely special for me because, you know, I got to write the chapter on the Dark Knights and Knightly Orders of Ancelon. Um, quite honestly, I consider it some of the better stuff I've ever written and one of my favorite projects for Margaret Weiss Productions. Um, and so it really meant a lot to me that I could revisit them. And um, <clears throat> so me, um, Tim, uh, Chuck and Ed worked on that, and um, and that'll be out soon. Uh, also, have an article by Richard Knack on um, Land of the Minotaurs. Some of the background behind that. Uh, really appreciate the series that Richard's been doing for us. Um, you know, he's been posting them on social media, allowing the, allowing us to post it on uh, the Nexus as well. And, um, you know, just kind of talking about his, uh, 
his main bodies of work and Dragonlance and everything. Um, Richard has, um, he's had a bit of a health scare recently. Um, and I don't want to get too much into it due to privacy issues. Um, but he had some pretty major surgery, but he's come out of it. He's in really good shape. Um, his spirits are bright and he's getting a lot better. Um, and so, uh, we're, we're glad that Richard's on the mend and, um, I told him I'd, uh, polish his battle axe for him. So, <laughs> and the, the other piece of news coming out here is we are going to be shortly dropping a, all these 5e content articles into a source book with additional stuff. Um, and that yeah. should be out. That should be out sometime. I would say early March. Um, we have wrapped up most of the writing. Uh, Tim is doing a little bit of editing, and then Ed's going to layout, and I will just be cracking the whip to make sure people get their stuff done. And and I know there's going to be a source book coming off of Dragonlance, hopefully down the road. I will be one person, maybe number two in line to buy it because I love source books and I love Dragonlance. But uh, you know, we really thought that we should give something with it to the community to use. Hopefully, a, a set of rules that they've been play tested, they've been checked out. Um, we use them on the online uh, Dragons of the River of Time game. We use a lot of those rules with there. So we've gotten some great play testing. I have a play testing group. I've run lots of stuff through. Um, I've been doing a lot, a lot of classwork uh, with the Dark Knights. We had to change a few things after they got play tested because they were OP or or under P UP. Um, so <laughs> I'm glad that's not here. We'd have to put them in the penalty box again. Uh, yep. Yeah. So we're we're pretty excited for what we're going to release. Uh, we're we're going to include some of the work of the authors of the Lexicon in there. You know, those folks have done a tremendous job. It's the Dragonlance oh, yeah. Wiki now. We want we we we're pulling some of that information. So uh, it's going to be kind of an, an all inclusive source book, but it's going to be at, at a cup. There is no price tag. It's just going to be downloadable. Because yep. we here at the Nexus, we don't charge. We don't make money. We we do things because nope. we, we enjoy the, the, the hobby. We're, it's it's a hobby for us. I, I think it's more fun because we don't charge, you know, because, you know, the second we start charging, we got to think about stuff out and putting stuff out. And, you know, right now we're just kind of writing what we want and what interests us. And, you know, we're getting these basics down and the future, who knows what it'll bring. You know, I'd, I'd like to see people just really get jazzed and write some blog posts about what interests them, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, so we're, we're looking forward to that dropping soon, and um, hopefully it comes in line with some of those new novels coming out uh, here sometime this summer, this fall, this winter. Um, we'll, we'll be crossing our fingers, but... There was a time back, what was it almost twenty years ago now that we had had a novel release that that changed Dragonlance, right? Twenty, it's been it's been twenty years since the War of Souls came out, starting uh, to make everybody feel old. <laughs> it it does, you know the the thing is is I I am seeing history repeat itself right now, 
you know, because back in those days, we had the War of Souls coming out. So we had a new trilogy. We had the fans working on uh, the Nexus and getting started with the rules. And we learned a lot of lessons the hard way. Um, and because of that, I think this time around, we've approached it much better. Um, and we're getting stuff out a lot quicker than what we did back then. Um, but man, what a time War of Souls was, you know. Well, I remember War of Souls, us, you and I discussing on the old uh, Watsy forums. Um, oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah, the end of book two. I didn't even know who you were at that time. I just, it was Dragon Helm was the name. And we were just going back and forth on who the secret character was on the ship at the end of the book. And both of us knew it was Sylvanoshi. But both of us are like, this is such a waste of a character. <laughs> like, like, he's infatuated, he's in love. This character is just, no, why, why is, this, is not, this is not a tease, this is not a hidden thing here. We, we know what, who this is. Yeah, man. Sylvanoshi. And well, then please don't let us monopolize this conversation here. But no. well, I can I can dive into the actual. That way, we we can officially get going because Weldon Weldon's following the notes, and we're not, so we're, we'll be in the penalty box pretty quickly. <laughs> so the yep. war. Of, well, go. I was gonna say the War of Souls is a pivotal moment for many in the Dragonlance universe. Whether you were a fan of the changes that came in the setting during the saga, some people call it the Fifth Age setting, or with someone who just politely said no, thank you, that's me. Many came to the table for this series. We all came back. We all enjoyed it. While the series has struck most fans as being a rightening of the ship, to some though it was not enough or it was too much. For those who enjoy the stories of Dragon Overlords, all four of you, that time had come <laughs> to an end. To some, though, this series was considered a fan service. I've heard that a lot, and I see that still to this day. 20 years later, I still see people saying, War of Souls is just a fan service. Now, you might be asking yourself, what is a fan service? Because a lot of folks don't know the actual definition of a fan service. It's just a cool catchphrase they throw out now. Is well, a like fan is that like when you get your fan fixed when it hasn't been worked right, working right? You, you got 30 seconds. Well, a fan service <laughs> is the inclusion of, in a work of fiction of any material, especially racy or sexual material, which has no relevance to the storyline, but is designed merely to excite the viewer. That's from your dictionary definition. Um, I don't think that covers anything that was in that that series. I mean, I mean, Gerard was was a very handsome, ugly man. Um, so often we throw around terms that sound interesting or associate a different meaning to it. So let's start this off. Let's start this discussion off. Was the War of Souls a fan service, or was it, uh, or rather, was it pulling at people's nostalgia of a pre-Dragon Overlord version of Dragonlance? Hmm. Well, uh, as I was talking about um, this stuff before, uh, all in all, I love the prose. Uh, just basically the way that Tracy and Margaret were able to write and spin off a legend. Like, just like, in, you know, in Dragons of Autumn Twilight, the first books, they can just spell out a history of something 
you know, as it pertains to the story and just lay it out there as a, as a legend for people to just hear before they go back to the story. I mean, if there's anything that's kind of like sexy fan service, it was kind of like that. I mean, uh, you know, they had nothing to do with the dragon overlords and nothing in there. But when you first start hearing about Beryl and how she's just this unnatural bloated beast that you know doesn't belong in this world, but she came during the time of like the Dragon Purge. The way they just wrote it all out just made it like literally like a a, a nostalgic buy-in to like a previous time, and they could just spin it out like that. Uh, that to me is just the most sexiest way of like presenting the Fifth Age. I mean, they were able to do that just. Just with like a couple of paragraphs going into the, you know the backdrop of the story, and it's just wow, just still wow. Like that's what made them great writers. And and every time they pulled off something like that, talking about the legend of what was going on in the Fifth Age, you just just magically taken back, and you're just going like, wow. You know, it didn't sound that bad when the first books in the game for it came out. But this just made it sound elegant and, and sexy. Yeah, you know, I, I remember what fandom was like at that time uh, when I joined in on online fandom with the uh, Dragonlance L mailing list. Uh, if any of you remember that. Um, it was very divided. Uh, it was a lot of fourth age versus fifth age. It was a lot of uh, D&D versus Saga. And there was quite a split. Um, in fact, our friend Shivam got to um, tour Watsi. I think they had just acquired um, D&D at the time. And uh, so they asked him, you know, well, are you a fourth age fan or a fifth age fan? And his response I thought was great, which is, I'm a Dragonlance fan. But, you know, the divide's there. And part of the whole point of um, War of Souls was to heal that divide. When I started reading War of Souls, I was like, yes, this is the tone, the feel that has been missing from the setting. And, you know, like, in terms of fan service, yeah, I'd say there was some. We get to see a bunch of our old friends again, but they've all aged. Um, you know, uh, the case of Riverwind, he had passed away. Um, and War of Souls was used as a way to wrap things up uh, for a lot of them. So that way, the companions, you know, the heroes of the Lance, they're not, they're not dominating the whole picture. Um, we do have some new heroes, but, you know, they're not set up in a way that um, they dominate things. And, um, you know, in many ways, I felt like it righted the ship. But Weiss and Tickman were also very professional, and they did not discard the Fifth Age. They could have easily done that, and they still included it, kept it as part of the background. Um, 
So I, I think my answer to the fan service thing is, yeah, there was some. And yes, it kind of uh, righted the ship back where it needed to be, but not totally. And it was setting up the world for the next um, big phase. So you guys have brought up the in Trampas, you brought up there's some new characters. And really the, the two that really strike out in, in this series is Gerard and you have Mina. Or Mina, whichever way you want to pronounce it. I grew up, there's a Lake Mina not from, from far far from where I from where I grew up, went to college. So when I see that word, I always automatically say Mina. A lot of folks say Mina. We're not doing pronunciation week again. That's coming down the road. No, no, that it's all good. Down the road. So we have Gerard versus Mina going on. You have Gerard, who is the highly va- vaunted uh, Knight of Somalia. He's the he's the guy that uh, has the the honor system. All right, that was a great discussion on fan service on on part one here. But as we move forward, I see Ed has snuck out of the timeout box. I have someone gave me some lock picks and I kindred my way out. Uh, I apologize for being late, but I'm here and I'm ready to talk. And I know I missed that first little part, but um, let's let's move to section two. Section two. We're moving on to Gerard versus Mina. Mina. Mina is a correct way to pronounce it in my part of the country. You can pronounce it anyway. Margaret says pronounce things the way you want to pronounce them. So stop, stop doing that. Even if it's even if it's from a literary character of classic, you know, uh, Dracula, Mina, right? Um, is it Illinois or Illinois? Are we going to go to that discussion? I mean, this is this is ridiculous. People aren't here to hear about enunciation, and here you correct me. All right, so let's go. Let's go to. Let's go. So to let's talk two. about Gerard versus Mina. <laughs> so Mina is the. She she comes in the series. She's got a bald head. I mean, that's the first thing people always say about that. She's bald, but really, she's attractive. She's Sorry. sneaky. She's smart. Smart. She's charismatic. I don't know what smart is, but she's that too. Well, Gerard is the opposite. He's ugly. He's pocked face, straw. His hair is straw. Uh, not the color, but the texture of straw. Um, he's despised by most knights, but he's honorable, which for the Knights of Salamnia, that's rare now. Yeah. He's also very, he has a sense of self loathing. He does. I mean, so were these two a good counter to each other? Were, were these two characters, do you feel? the opposite ends. They share some same traits, but do you think Gerard represented the best of the good and Mino the best of the evil? I never I like Gerard. Like, um, go ahead, Travis. I never felt like Gerard was a counter. You know, and may, maybe I just totally missed that when I read it years ago, but uh, I, I just didn't pick up on that for some reason. What was he then? I always treated him as a normal guy. I mean, he is our character who's the normal guy living on Kryn, going through his life. Um, events pick up around him and kind of drag him wherever you're going, just like a normal character. 
Mina is the one who, you know, being the charismatic person that she is, she doesn't doubt herself anymore. She's like the person who's like the epitome of like, I am, I know what I'm doing, so I am doing this. And I guess that makes a perfect villain because she never really questions herself and what her motivations are. She follows blindly. She does. She actually does in book three when, when uh, she dies. Yeah. I, I want to say about Gerard, though. So we're talking about, oh, he's just a regular guy. But when you think about Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, the hero is typically just a regular guy that gets pulled into supernatural events. And he's your kind of anchor through the storyline. So you see things through his eyes. So they're a little bit more like, oh, this crazy thing is happening. And then there's Gerard to kind of like pull you back in and say like, wow, that is, you know, that gives you the sense of wonder, even if he was, you know, a stick in the mud at certain times. And as far as Mina goes, I couldn't stand her through this, through this first trilogy. I didn't even like her until the dark disciple when they actually, I gave her a little bit more, self-doubt and some characterization, but that, that's just me. I mean, so Tramp, I guess, what, where would you put Gerard? I mean, that's the thing. Both Ed and Weldon have spoke pretty elegantly to, to where they put him. Where do you put him? I, I want to preface all this by saying it's been 20 years since I've read it, so my memory may be a little sketchy here, but um, Gerard was kind of the everyman, you know, he, he wasn't your typical, um, it, you know, I think of a knight of Salamni, I think Huma, I think, um, uh, I think, um, Sturm, you know, but Gerard's not that at all. He's, he's more just a regular guy. But that's the thing with this trilogy is you have Mina, who's just a nobody that she washes up on the shore here and she leads the army. Gerard is a nobody. Actually, he is a somebody. He finally comes from a rich family. You have Mina, who's able to capture and, and, and get folks rallied around her. Gerard spends most of the books. I just reread these just in the last week or so. Mm -hmm. uh, you have Gerard chasing around the countryside trying to rally folks. Nobody wants to listen to him. Everything he tries to do, it ends in, in, in failure or, or issues. He's not pretty. He's not as charismatic, I would say. Um, well, even yeah, when he if, goes, you want, if you want a good contrast, Gerard is a person who doesn't have any gods backing him. Mina is the one who just came in, basically found Galdar, and said, I have a mission for you here. The one God is going to heal your arm. And then boom, he gets his arm back. I mean, that's some powerful message right there of like super healing. That if you think it's a very interesting contrast compared to, you know, Autumn Twilight where, you know, Goldmoon brings back healing. But this seems so much darker because at that right moment in that chapter, you know, he, Gulder basically, you know, says something blasphemous and and he gets this feeling he could lose his arm at any moment and that's so much different from them from from uh Michikal. so i kind of get the feeling that that's what makes mina far different from gerard 
Yeah, Mina is meant to be a, I mean, she's meant to be a dark reflection of Goldmoon. Like, what if the gods return, but rather than, you know, the good gods being ushered back in through uh, Goldmoon, you know, uh, we have someone like Goldmoon who's very charismatic, who works for evil. And right now there's no competition either, so. See, I want to put her as. I wouldn't put her as Gold Moon, because Gold Moon did butt kiss in that, that tri- Chronicles. She did a right, little bit of stuff in the first. She's she's more of a counter to Elliston. But, you know, she really has been uh, presented as a um, um, as that reflection. I want to say uh, I could be remembering this wrong, but I want to say Margaret even said so back in the day. So, um, yeah, take that for what it's worth. So we we over the trilogy though, we get to know a little bit about Mina's relationship with Gold Moon, how she kind of showed up at the Citadel of Light, um, her childhood and being raised there. Um, and she was doing special things then, if I remember correctly. I don't think she was ever a nobody. She was always a somebody. She was always right and, and able. I thought that she she had some some amount of supernatural around her when she was at the Citadel of Right Light. Am I am I incorrect in that? No, you're not incorrect. She's a nobody in the sense that she washed up on the shore and nobody knows her backstory. Well, yeah, it's it, obviously you are where, correct. Where, there. We find out uh, so, where where Gerard comes from a rich family and everybody knows his father. His father pays for the knighthood. Yes, but I think it's okay. We don't normally get a character like Gerard in Dragonlance. Like, think about the Chronicles characters. Most of them have some type of charismatic aspect to their personality, where Gerard is kind of, you know, ugly and self-doubting and things like that. But he obviously, like you mentioned, he's very honorable. Um, I mean, that's, that's a good... I guess that's a, that's a good characteristic to have, but I mean, maybe it was something. I, I I feel like Gerard's character hadn't been done before. Am I right? Am I wrong? Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I'd say that's accurate. Yeah. I mean, but Trampas, it seems to, it seems to me like you thought Gerard was boring. That's what I'm getting from this. No, I just I, I'm just 20 years older, and I don't remember it as well uh i i enjoyed his character you know um i thought he was one of the better characters from the series um but you know i i don't i don't quite hold him up to that same level as the original uh companions it's is that because he's he's not your once again Stern bright blade. He's not that typical of knight we're gonna put on a pedestal. He's an actual real knight that most people <laughs> despise and hate because they don't understand the knighthood of Swanley is a bunch of crooks. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you look at. Well, I mean, uh, let me finish that. There are knighthood of crooks. Not all of them are crooked, but there are a lot of them who take advantage of the situation. You look at. You look at before. Uh, Chronicles, those folks were paying for their positions. That's how they were getting there. They were using their money. After Chaos War, once they fall right back to it because the night, the Dark Knights have kicked them so hard that they have no other 
reckless to go towards because they've lost everything. Right. Cam suggested at one point that that's kind of what the knighthood does. They they go along, they kind of fall from grace. Then someone like Yuma or Stern comes along, gives them a swift kick in the rear, and then they get back to where they, um, you know, to where they're at their best. But then occasionally they just fall from grace again, and it's just a cycle. It's a it's a really bad cycle because they didn't they didn't make it very long this time. No. Well, on top of that, they're in a weakened spot that makes them later on be, you know, we talk about James Markham, and that's a whole other topic of where the knighthood goes from there. So. So I guess overall we're not feeling that that, that they're necessarily a contrast to each other. Um, I, I feel they are. Um, well, but I do feel, feel they are too. Okay. I mean, Gerard, basically being the normal guy, he he in in the books he's not really religious. He doesn't really have faith, and you know it even comes down to his own viewpoint of who he is and what he's like. Um, you know, which which is not very. Um, uh, I want to say he's like tennis, where he self-deprecates himself. He doesn't really consider himself special in any way. And that's completely opposite with Mina. Mina knows she's special in some weird way because she was handpicked by the one god and she's been like the surrogate daughter of Golden. This is a woman who thinks she's going places. And here's Gerard who's kind of going like, well, I have really no place. Sure, my parents were rich and they helped fund the knighthood and all that stuff. And I was put into a you know, a low-level, non-threatening position somewhere, you know, for my own safety. And, you know, that, that I think, is what the beginning of the character is. And in the end arc of it, when you go to the very end, and sorry for, like, jumping in spoilers, um, he eventually is asked, what does he think? You know, he asks, where do you think Pass is? I think at the end of it, there is a revelation where he believes that you know, Tass is out there and and you know fulfilling his fulfilled his destiny and saved the world and all that stuff. And in my mind, he's gained a certain amount of faith in in his travels. And I think that's his character arc. Um, he's a person who didn't have faith, self-deprecating, and he learns his self-worth and he finds a measure of faith out there. You know, and in the end, his his entire arc, even beyond these books, is that he becomes Sheriff of Solace. You know, he finds what he wants to do, which is just to be good and do good things to his local community, which I think is actually a very, very interesting take on what a hero is. So I think that's some great points to end this this part on is we, we need to keep moving forward here. Um we have some big reveals in, in this trilogy. Uh, big shockers. You find out the, the cause of the shield that's over Sylvanesti. You've got three overlords that go down. You've got the whole backstory of Mina. You've got the big reveal of the one god. You've got this terrible elf guy running around that's whiny all the time. <laughs> oh, that's not a reveal. 
That's the part that annoys me. The entire Elven race. Um, Oh, no. <laughs> no, that, that was out of turn. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. So we, we've got, we've just got a lot of big things happening in every book. We've got big things happening. Um, what was these all smartly played out? Or was it too much? Do we have too much happening? No, I think a lot of this stuff needed, needed to happen because we, you know, Kryn was left in this weird situation that for a lot of people, not all, it didn't feel like Dragonlance anymore. You know, you didn't have the gods, you didn't have the clerics, you didn't have um, you didn't have the wizards of high sorcery. And not just that, but there were a lot of sweeping changes that had been made, and and some people were alienated. So this trilogy was like bridging the gap. Did it, do I think it was too much? Hell no. I think those those alien dragons had to die. I think Cyan, uh, you know, Cyan Bloodbane and the sh and the shield was like poetic. That was excellent. I love this part of the book. Um, and of course, the, you know, when we talk about the one god being Takesis, why wouldn't it be? Uh, there's just a lot going on there that I thought I I had no issues with what they did at all. Um, you know, I think well, the biggest. I don't know. Oh, go ahead, sir. Well, you know, the one god being Takesis or Takesis, whatever we want to spell it, um, that was at the time, you know, so, oh my god, the, the gods are back. Oh god, it's her again. You know, there was this whole thing of like, oh, this is going to be a retread of like, you know, uh, Autumn Twilight. I think after 20 years, people are settled with it being okay. But Back then, the mystery of the one god was so interesting. People were going like, could this be chaos? Could chaos be the actual one who actually won? And all the other gods have been swept away, and now this god's here? And he's like one insane guy who's you know, almost destroyed Krim, but now he's ruling it? Oh, my god. Or, you know, could have been a brand new god, like one we've never heard of, who's now formed, you know, there was all sorts of speculation, like what if our you know need and desire for a divine you know entity created a one god that is now fulfilling our dreams and, and what we want, you know, in, in the worst possible way. It was all sorts of stuff that was, you know, the mystery of the one god at the time that was so so wild and awesome. Yeah, because you even had folks speculating it was going to be the high guy being revealed, and he was going to reveal a whole new pantheon too. Of, yeah. of, of folks like Mina, Gerard, like they'd all be pulled up into as new gods. Yeah, one one yeah. thing I remember from that time that really interested me was the idea that you know here's a setting where they had had twenty one gods you know, off and on throughout the years. And uh, the idea of a single god was so alien to the people of Kryn. You know, they're like, oh, I can't even imagine that, you know. And uh, yet in our own world, um, and, and I'll try to phrase this best I can, there are many people who believe in a singular God, you know, uh, whether it's uh, uh, Christianity, uh, Muslim faith, um, whatever. Uh, so it's it just seems 
more natural um, for people from our own world. It's kind of interesting seeing the characters in that world having to struggle with the concept. You know, I actually actually kind of remember seeing that same sort of thing done in Xena at one point. So oh, where, yeah, where they, they I was going to say, but were the people really struggling? Because, I mean, people were embracing Mina for what she was saying. Well, there had been they no were look, They were looking for something to believe in, something greater. So well, I wouldn't say they were... As I say, I wouldn't say it was a struggle. I mean, the people were throwing themselves into this. You look at Odelia, or Odella, her whole arc is she, she gets swept into it because she just wants to believe. And then she finds out that sometimes you believe in bad things, and that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, her particular the, mission... oh, Go ahead, Walden. Well, I, yeah, I think her particular arc and what made her different from Gerard was that, yeah, she wanted to believe, but at her heart of hearts, she didn't think what she was doing was right, even though she wanted to believe. And there's a particular scene where um, Mina has the Dragonlance, and she's going to use it, I guess, against Malice. And uh, Odila can't touch it. She, you know, at her heart's hearts, is not a good person now. And she, she gets shocked by it. But Mina somehow can handle it easily. And you know that in that scene, that is really telling to Odelia, Odelia's heart that she's not really being the good person. That e even though she's following, you know, someone, something greater than herself, it's it's not a really a good thing, and she knows it. And speaking of one things greater than themselves, did you did did you guys pick up? And I, like I said, I just recently read this, but Mina in Sylvanesti. Um, after Lord Tarragon tries or kills her the first time, well, the only time he kills her, um, he when she comes back, he tries to read his, her mind, and her mind is vast, is full, it's just immense. The knowledge that's inside. Do you think that's a uh, precursor to her being a god? I think so. I thought I thought that Margaret and Tracy always, or at least Margaret always had that plan for her. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the time, I was thinking he was reading into the mind of the one god. And this was like proof that this is really a divine entity that, you know, you are encountering. And you're looking into the vastness of the one god and how are you going to defeat the one god. But, you know, with the reveal of who Mina actually is, you know, in another trilogy, you know, yeah, uh, the clues were there. But I think in the story itself, it was demonstrating, you know, divinity upon you. The one of the biggest knocks this trilogy does get is the death of the overlords. Uh, a lot of folks didn't feel feel that was justified. Um, Beryl, they felt thought got a good death. Uh, Kellandroski did not get a good death, and and Malice, the uh, largest of them all, got kind of a uh, mediocre death, uh, especially since she really wasn't a factor till the last book. What's your thoughts on the death of those overlords? Did did they get good deaths? Na na, hey hey, kiss him goodbye. 
<laughs> that's how I felt, Trampus. I was like, just get him the hell out of here. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I, I know there are a lot of people who jumped into the series during the fifth age and that there's a certain attachment to them, but you know, it's like they're they were almost like these little almost demigods, you know, not quite gods, but uh they've won, they've uh, taken over all the territory, divvied it up. They've corrupted it into something that is not recognizable. Um, and it just, and, and then there's Sky Kellandros, who basically jumped several sizes. And, you know, I remember when I first heard about the Overlords, I'm like, well, why the hell didn't, um, Takisa's used these uber dragons uh, uh, during the War of the Lands, you know, and of course we find out they're alien dragons, and that's why. Um, and of course they all grew during the time too, but honestly, uh, in my mind, their entire purpose was uh, to eventually be defeated and killed. And most of them, I did not find that interesting, honestly. You know, Chuck, I'm going to say Beryl's death was the best death because it was tied with Lorana's death. Um, and it basically yeah, and overshadows that, that whole scene. And it's just, that was a great death scene. You mean the death and of Lorana? So epic. <laughs> yeah, he just, you lose the capital of the Colonesti. Like, oh my God. Well, that's the cost of defeating one of these things. Oh, this is going to be so epic. Oh, you know, Ski uh, and, and Melis are just the next big dragons. What it's going to take to kill these guys? Not much. Yeah, not much. So, some lightning to Ski and uh, some, you know, drag, a dragon lance piercing the side of Malice, and that was it. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you think about it, a god. <laughs> yeah, god had, the one god really helped out with, with um, Malice. Like, yeah, had to because uh, Mina goes down. Yeah, because they, they stabbed Malice in the Dragons of a New Age trilogy at the end with Huma's Lance, and she just kind of like, oh, I'm wounded, but was fine. But was it so, human's lance? We we never find out. It was human's lance, hundred percent. Where 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 does it say that? In in the dragons of a new age, it was it human's not. lance because it was because humans they, she recovered they, it and they find it in key of destiny in the three point five module. I was going to say maybe in the three point five module, but in the book they find the dragon the dragon lance comes from some some old knight's tomb. Is all it says. Some old tomb. Yeah, I mean, in the books they didn't spell it out, but in the saga um, adventures, the adventure was basically highlighted. Everyone's quest is to collect the pieces of the dragonlance to Huma's dragonlance to to fight. So it's more game literature that expressly said it. So I thought that in books, Dragons of a New Age trilogy, they went to Huma's tomb. Was well, the nice dragons of the new. I was gonna say, but the dragons of the vanished moon. The the, the lance that said Mina, one one of the captains, brings it to her. They found it in a, in a tomb. 
It doesn't say anybody's tomb. It just said they found it oh, in no, a tomb no, no, no. ship okay, okay, tour. Okay. No, no, no. I was saying in the end of Dragons of the New Age trilogy, oh. Malice got stabbed with Huma's lance and survived. And if she's going to survive that, she's uh, going to survive any damn dragon lance. Uh, sorry, we're 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 all on the different lances here. Yeah, no, that's that that was my my meaning. Yeah, was I, that she did. She got stabbed with Humus lamps and totally lived, taking some damage. And then, it, yeah, it, it's going to take the the power of a goddess to bring her down because that was part of my problem with that those last trilogies. Is just like Trampus had said that these dra these dragon overlords were like unbeatable. No one could kill them. All they, all they they managed to kill a sea dragon, which is like the lamest of the dragons. So it's come on. <laughs> and the cost of that was high too. It was. They lost two people. Yeah, people died. So, um, you know, the, the sea elves. Let's not count. Let's not count their death toll. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So back in the day, uh, you know, in memory lane, one of the problems that people had with the saga adventures and the arrival of the dragon overlords was that they felt dragons were undefeatable. Uh, I've made the argument of like, who cares? Build your adventure, come up with an adventure where you individually kill them in your own history books, where you deal with these dragons and make it your own because that's the whole point of these things. Uh, they're there as foils for adventurers to eventually kill off in your own personal dragonlands. And the counter argument of, of that was like, well, in real dragonlands, in you know the canon stuff, they're not going away, so we can't realistically get rid of them until there's a story that kills them off. And we're like, uh, okay, and and we got it, you know, with uh, with the War of Souls. That's you know how we took how those overlords got got removed, and I'm assuming people back then were happy now that there was a canon way of doing it, and now they can like. Reclaim print as their own. I mean, that's. I mean, you're right. Well, then I've known people like that for a long time. That if it's not canon, they don't play it. And if it's, I mean, if it is canon, they'll do it their own way to get there. But they needed that official print before they want to move their story forward. What? What? Yeah, I I used to be that way to a certain degree, but I got over it. <laughs> yeah, I started yeah, running yeah. games and realized, no, yeah. let's have a fun game. And it's not just Dragonlance, it was Star Wars, it was a number of things, so yeah. Well, and it goes back to this, those times when people played the same adventures and things like that, and they, you talk to other people at conventions or people in your gaming community, so you share stories. And, and you'd have common ground, and lots of, and that's somehow that tradition has moved forward with us. But Which that's is, the big limitation, though. It's the, some of these folks feel like, oh, Dragonlance stories has already been told. We can't ever game in, in Ancelon because well, it, it, it's all been told. We can't do anything different. <laughs> Sorry, that's my nerd voice. It's but, silly. We can make uh, our own stories on Kryn. Okay? We can do you that. You know, I, that, that's the whole point. Well, the whole point of one chapter of the Legends of the Twins game book was the alternate crans you know the idea that you could take this world and everything in it and you can customize it however you want you know and with the river of time there are forks so just figure that your game is a different fork on the river of time and it doesn't affect mainstream continuity and you're good that's why i love the uh 
No, we're we're getting way off course here, but the uh, yeah. the Anvil series. But, um, but I love that that series for for that thing of of taking things off the course. But that was a part of this trilogy too, because Taz he he traveled to a different time that potentially he saw that wasn't real, and he had to go back and rethread time with Ray. It is part of this of of this somewhat, right? Uh, and that timeline was awesome. That, was that awesome. timeline, Dragonlance, though, was was would be considered kind of done, though. True. Uh, but see, that timeline um, got expanded on in Legends of the Twins with the Age of Dragons timeline. Uh, and we threw in a few things to spice it up a little bit. So um, I, I won't spend any more time on it, but check it out. So, so there's two camps that, to, that Legends of Twi- Twins chapter Trampus. Either people loved it or hated it. So, there's so no they either loved it or, or they're wrong. So, you know, that's... But speaking <laughs> of things that are right or wrong, let's talk about the knighthood. We we get reintroduced to the knighthood here um, in this series. And it's a knighthood that is reeling on both sides, really. Uh, one side is the Salamic Knights. You find out they have Salamphus. And Sancrist, and that's about it. They have an honor and guard down in Solus. They have Naraka that controls Qualanesti, Polanthus, most of Salamnia, Naraka. They have they're trying to take Sanction, but Sanction's not rule, really ruled by anybody. It's got some knight Salamic knights there, but they're not supposed to be there either because Hogan Blight doesn't want them. So, but we also have the fact that both knighthoods are pretty corrupt. Lord Tarragon is more concerned about money than he is about anything else. And the old knighthood itself, you find out Gerard's father is is bankrolling it. And early on, you find out that there aren't very many honorable Knights of Salamnia left. So we've got a lot of seeds being planted here. What were your guys' takeaways on those knighthoods? I thought it was depressing that the Knights of Naraka and the Knights of Salamnia were we're kind of basically the same thing, except for just they. I couldn't even say the knights of, of Slamnia were good either, and and I couldn't say that all the dark knights were bad when we talk about Marshall Madan. You know, they, they just seem to be in that weird gray neutral areas. There's a lot of shades of gray going on. Was that because of the fact that these dragon overlords has had oppressed these people for so long that you become your enemy? I think that's a that's a good point, Chuck. Or at least you lose your way. And and I guess you look forward. You, you have, we have the Rise of Salamnia trilogy that a lot of folks ha- had a huge issue with because we've talked about this a few times here. Um, that was not the knighthood people wanted, not the knighthood people thought. But yet in the War of Souls trilogy, that's the knighthood that they have. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We keep going back to the changes in the knighthood and, um, uh, you know, the idealized version we all have from human Sturm and then um, what we actually see. And, uh, you know, just discussions we've had on this podcast and offline. Um, I'm really re-questioning things and uh, I, I may owe Doug Niles a very big apology if that's uh, 
if that's the case. Uh, but I, I've just re-examined everything, and it's like, you know, yeah, I want that. Um, I want that idealized knight, but maybe those are just best left for player characters and for um, the occasional protagonist uh, and not for the knighthood as a whole. Because I, I remember reading this trilogy. I was going to say, I just remember reading this trilogy and just being, because sh- I had the same, well, 20 years ago, I had the same viewpoint as you did, Trampus. I had the knighthood held, held to esteemed. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. After after Stern Brightblade dies, you read about how how things are getting better, and then the Chaos War comes, and, and, and you want to believe things are going to keep getting better. And then you read this trilogy, and you're like, "What the heck happened?" And like I said, I, I had the same thing. It's just I read this book, and it made me realize that the Knighthood has never really been very good. <laughs> They try. They do. So I'm agreeing in, in the fact that they get that kick in the butt, kick in the butt, and then they do well. So like after Sturm's sacrifice, the knighthood, get, the knighthood got pretty good for, for maybe a decade. And then, you know, well, so, no, you're right. You're right. Uh, I, I think that's on purpose. Just like Cam said, um, the knights, you hold them to an ideal, you hold them to where you want them to go, but for the adventure, for the story itself, like PCs are supposed to be the exceptions to the rule. They're the heroes. Everyone else isn't. So to make these guys the heroes, you know, everything else shouldn't be heroic. Therefore, the knights fall from grace all the time so that you have heroes to fix them. Um, I... I I'm considering that more of a natural thing because I'm probably a cynic. I believe that all large organizations are prone to corruption at some point because they grow stagnant. They get codified in their rules. They don't, you know, move forward. Like, you know, in this book, the Salamniks are kind of stuck because they don't want to move forward. They want to help themselves. And that's not bad. You want to help where you can. And if it means helping the people in Salamia because you've just kind of recovered from, you know, Norekan, you know, the Knights of Noreka and their rule over Palanthus and all the other places. Uh, it's kind of like you need the Knights to have someone to aspire to. And in the storyline, it's the heroes. The, the heroes become the aspiration that transforms the knights. So I think that needs to be balanced out with the knighthood not, you know, being um, you know, the shiny knights up on the hill. But so the, I'm okay with it. Yeah, it's that conflict. But at the end of this trilogy, both knight characters from this book leave the knighthood. <laughs> yeah. O- Odella leaves to travel with Mir and Gerard sticks around for a while but realizes he can't change anything and he quits. Which then leads to the Rise of Salamnia trilogy. Uh, yeah, sounds like it was a plan. Yeah, well, you know, this War of Souls, one of the points of it was to set the stage for what would come next. And 
you know, that that's why we get rid of the dragon overlords. That's why we remove the heroes of the lance from the picture because people thought they dominated things too much. You know, it set the stage. And so then we could have Omnia trilogy. We could have um, knighthoods and, you know, rearranging and trying to figure out where they belong and nation building and all that good stuff. So, Trampus, you've moved yourself into takeaways, and that's an excellent point you just made. I, I really, I really like what we got after War of Souls um, with with the Nitro trilogy and things of that nature. What's some of your uh, other takeaways from you guys? So, my takeaway uh, is soft reboot. That was my takeaway. Like for me, it got a lot more interesting, and we had a we had an, you know, we had an Ancelon that was gonna recover from not only the subjugation of these dragon overlords, but this war of souls. And then on top of that, you have these people that have been born that don't know anything about gods, and these gods have come back. On and then they took away the two main gods who really drove a lot of the conflict of paladin and tachesis and now we got to focus on other gods and so for me it was like just this whole sandbox that had been opened and i really believe we had a, a great amount of trilogies that put all of the races into these points even though at you know around 2010 or nine or whatever was when they cut off the series, but everybody was like healing and kind of rebuilding and, and put in these places where uh, we were ready to either have a, a new storyline in a new direction or, you know, just start healing the wounds that, that had come from, from all the subjugation and, and, and that was me. Yeah, I am of uh, the same opinion. Um, if you compare the Age of Mortals, uh, well, actually, sorry, Fifth Age books, compared to what they did with War of Souls, um, that trilogy, the first trilogy, ended with the Overlords basically taking over, with the hope that there would be new stories that would eventually get rid of them, and we were, you know, the epic quest to try to, like, defeat the Overlords. That never panned out because the first three books basically established a world where you're locked in. Now you have to find your way out. Um, but here in the War of Souls, this trilogy opened things up. You had major deaths, major transactions. You had the elves now in exile on both Sylvanesi and Clonesi. You've got minotaurs invading the elven nations. And they left it at that as something else to be you know, taken care of. Um, You've got, you know, yeah, the gods coming back, the two of them have been mortal, one, you know, killed off. And, you know, all the nations have slowly recovered. The, the Narekans lost big, and Salamnia has now, the Salamnics have taken over the lands that they've lost. And there's this transition to, we are now in a whole new realm of openness and adventure compared to what it kind of felt like with, with, um, the Fifth Age trilogy, which hemmed everything in. I think that would be my takeaway on how you want to build a good setting. Um, 
basically end uh, a trilogy with the possibility of expansion and story arcs and adventure hooks versus one that kind of hemmed everything in with with blocks that prevent you from actually having adventure. Here's the question, though. Did we truly... So we lose the two big gods that are driving everything. Um, and, you know, one dies, the other uh, sacrifices his divinity. Um, do we truly have balance? Because really, we have six good gods, six evil gods, and seven neutral gods. I can kind of see it both ways, but do we still have balance? Well, after that next trilogy, it's explained, yes. Uh, without, with, without spoilers, that yes, we do have balance because there is another god that, that skirts both lines. Yeah, so it's it's really interesting. Um, um, it, you know, I I had a few takeaways from the series uh, that I mean, or for at least what was to come. Uh, you know, there there was the reset, of course. There was the um, you know the foundation for the new uh, you know where. The new setting, basically. Um, I I do think there was a few things that maybe were a little bad, or that I might have done differently. Uh, personally, if I was Sargonis, I would have uh, taken over the Knights of Naraka because, quite honestly, they sound more like his thing than Takis's. Um, I don't know why he didn't just assert some dominance over them. Um, you know, the uh, magic. Magic is a one for me that um, has been um, I, I just didn't feel like it was done quite right because what it basically does is it brings back the old magic, which is great. Uh, but and then it exists side by side with the ambient magic that was discovered during the fifth age or rediscovered at least, um, which is great, but it doesn't really go into um, how they all fit together, how all four forms of magic fit together. And, you know, I, I don't think that ever was addressed well enough. Um, that they're, I don't know. It was kind of touched upon in the Dragonlands campaign setting, um, but I felt like it needed something more. Uh, something saying... Um, uh, something saying... Um, uh, what's I'm trying to say? Slight pause. I, I felt like it needed something more, like something that kind of defined a little bit better how each magic worked together, you know, and um, and kind of gave more of a feel of what each magic is. And uh, 
Um, so, you know, th there's that. So, Trampus, I want to hard disagree with you when it comes to Sargon. I don't think the Dark Knights belong with that god, because even during the end of the War of Souls, and and if you if you go to the Dark Disciple tree, he goes to Galdar, Sargonis, and is like, "I need you." Um, and and we have the trilogy of of the Minotaur trilogy by Richard Neck that came later. Uh, Sargonis is more Minotaur driven. I don't I don't. It doesn't it rankles me to think that he would be Dark Knights. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I didn't, I don't okay, like so I'm going to disagree with you. Um, Basically, each god, you know, yeah, they might have their favorite peoples um, or they might have a greater influence among certain peoples, but they have influence among several um, of the races. Uh, for example, Sargonis has influence amongst the elves. Uh, I think he goes by Kenthalus um, there. And so there's nothing saying that he can't also be working with the Dark Knights. The Dark Knights are about honor, which is right up Sargonis's thing. They're more brutal, which, um, you know, is almost as brutal as what the Minotaurs have. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not seeing any reason why they wouldn't, you know, worship him eventually. I, I guess on my takeaway with Dark Knights is they are not honorable. They are not even close oh, to they, it. They lost it a long time ago. So then why so, would Sargonis be interested? Yeah, he might very well say, you know, that's more than it's worth. Forget him. I, I mean, I just think that it's, it's really tough in a setting if you're going to give Sargonis both the Minotaurs, who are expa rapidly expanding, because they invade Sylvanesti during this trilogy, and then at the end, give them the Dark Knights, too, who control still wide tracts of the land. That's just setting up another Sargonis versus another God of Light, which I think they did a wonderful job avoiding that by not doing that scenario and letting the other gods finally start shining in these other books. And that's my takeaway, really, is the fact that you finally discover, you get some good personalities for these other gods um, and, these, and, and future books. You know, and, and it was sorely needed because before that you had Reorks, who, was, you, you, who had made some appearances as Dugan Redhammer. Um, you had Paladine, who oddly enough, when he became mortal, chose the long-living elf form. I don't know. That didn't sit well with me. I, I understand he created elves, but I also felt he should should have picked a human or a kender. Um, and then you've got um, Tikikis, who's who's very well, and then you have Gillian, who's kind of fleshed out. And then you've got just some other ones who who you know, like Sarganas. You know, he's with the Minotaurs, and Chamash is with the dead, and. Mishkal is with healing, and then you've got uh, Majir, who's a friend of Paladine, and then uh, Bronchula, who likes music but doesn't really do anything else. So, 
I just really appreciate the fact that other gods got a chance to shine after the series. I agree with you. Yes, very much. You know, I mean, I, I like seeing Kamash as a bad guy. I like seeing Zeboim flesh out. And Majir, Majir is one of those gods that he could be entirely forgettable. Um, but they really did well with him, I thought. Dude, in Elven Exiles, we got Z I mean, we saw two aspects of, of, of Zivolin. And I was like, what? Oh, I know. You know, that... Zebulun is probably my least favorite deity in all of Dragonlance, I hate to say. Uh, and this is excluding um, any of the higher powers like uh, High God and Chaos. So the 21, Zebulun is my least favorite. Zebulun. Zebulun. I'm sorry. Let's go. Not We're not Zibbalin. doing a pronunciation show. Zebulun. Zebulun. Whatever, dude. The the the, the, the yeah. I'm out of it. It's late. Somebody made me late. So yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm kidding, man. Uh, so um, yeah, yeah. Zivlin, I, I'm sorry. It's kind of a yawner. It's like, it's like um, if Gillian is a god of knowledge, then Zivlin is a god of what? Wisdom. Foresight. Foresight. You know. Well, yawn. <laughs> Well, if you read Ex Elven Exiles, you might feel differently. I I gained a better appreciation after that one. Yeah, that's my point. Well, anything else we want to add? We're getting really long on the tooth. Yeah, I'm just going to say War of Souls um, was a great read, and it's what really got me excited about Dragonlance again. And it came right at the time that we were building the Nexus. And um, uh, for all of that, I am forever grateful um, for giving us a, a time the world uh, came back yet was different enough to keep telling stories that weren't just the same old Paladine versus Takesis. You know, I, I'm grateful for that too. It, it shows that the world is a living, breathing world and that, yeah, it's going to change over time, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, and that all that conflict and everything and those gray areas, um, that's good. Last call for anybody else? Not hearing anything. Trampus, take us home. All right, folks. Well, um, that's the end of our show for today. I want to thank all of our panelists uh, for being here. Um, and for the Dragonlance Nexus, I'm Trampus Whiteman. I'm Chuck Martinell. Have a great life. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good night or evening or day, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I just gotta say, it's coming out for Rocket and Tracy. It's coming. It's our fingers. It's awesome. <laughs> and that's all for tonight, folks. Take care and have a good night. <laughs>